This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Monday, the 26th day of February 2024. Hope you had a great day at church yesterday. We did. We had a uh, uh, one of the missionaries the church supports. Uh, he and his wife are home on furlough and uh, visited the church yesterday. And uh, so he, he did uh, both the Sunday school hour for the adult Sunday school hour and the, uh, the message in the worship service and uh, talked about everything that he has been doing in Turkey, he and his wife. Um, and, uh, and, and just interesting stuff. Uh, Things you don't think about when you you think about the fact that uh, you know that's uh, what do you, what do you say ninety eight point something Muslim and eighty five million people and the number of Christians is measured in the thousands. Um, been over there for over twenty years and said they've they've shared the gospel with you know thousands of Turks and yet. They've never shared the gospel with somebody who'd heard it before, unless it was somebody they had already, you know, th- that initial contact. So the 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 gospel is not uh, not propagated in these places, and it's it's. We think he said it was the most uh, unevangelized country in the world, and I had not realized that. Now I think that might be. Uh, uh, hyperbolic. Um, I mean, you've got Japan, you've got China, you've got. I think there are probably. Uh, he said he figures there are more more uh, Christians in communist China than there are in Turkey, um, which is just a, a, a sad, sad uh, reality. Especially when you consider that you know. And this was one of the areas that is evangelized in the book of Acts, <laughs> you know, um, the, uh, it just, uh, um, just an interesting thing to think about that this was, this was, you know, Paul evangelized in what is now Turkey. Um, and there were, you know, Christian churches there, uh, the city of Constantinople, um, was a Christian. I mean, this was where Constantine lived, the first Christian Roman emperor. Um, and, and so, you know, this was once a vibrant Christian area. And, but he, he mentioned that the problems of, of the, uh, the, uh, the health and wealth prosperity gospel is all over the area. And, you know, it's, the, the the thing is, when you get to areas like this, they don't differentiate culturally in these areas between Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, Evangelical Christians, or name it and claim it charlatans. It's all quote-unquote Christianity. So he's dealing with a lot of confusion. He's dealing with opposition from, you know, charismatic, uh, name it and claim it type groups, um, that there's a lot of that, that has, you know, it makes it difficult. And, and, you know, he's had, uh, guys with a certificate from, you know, a Benny Hinn 10, 10 hour course. Is that, oh, see, I'm I'm now ready to be a pastor. <laughs> um, so it's a it's a uh, it's an interesting you know, pray for pray for missionaries. Um, pray for missionaries. It's it's uh, 
Um, the desire is to have local pastors trained in doctrine, leading churches. Um, we don't, you know, Christianity is not a quote unquote foreign religion. It's not the white man's religion. It's the only true religion. And it is for every person on the globe. This is, you know, Jesus is the only savior of the world. There is no other. And, uh, but with, you know, Christianity coming into areas through foreign missionaries, um, it's difficult to shake that idea that this is a foreign religion. Um, it's something that, that, uh, I think plagues a lot of missionary movements. Um, which is why one of the reasons why I'm such a huge supporter of, uh, the master's Academy international, um, TMAI has training centers around the world. Do they have one in Turkey? You know, I have to look. Um, I am pulling up the TMAI website. .org. And let's see if they have a training center in member schools. They have them by nation. They... We have one in the Middle East. It is in an undisclosed location. Um, and there is one in Albania. Um, but yes, yeah, so they have one in the Middle East in an undisclosed location. Whether that is Turkey or not, the dot is in southern Turkey, but undisclosed location, it could be you know, south of there in, in Syria or Lebanon or, or anywhere over there. They just kind of put it central in the Middle East is where they put their dot. So that is a, um, you know, they've got training centers in India, in Burma and the Philippines, um, Europe, of course. Um, yeah, let's see. Uh, yeah, Argentina. Here are the... Uh, it says some schools not listed for security reasons, but they have Albania, the Czech Republic, India, Malawi, Burma, the Philippines, Argentina, um, Germany, Central Europe, Germany, Switzerland, Austria, <clears throat> Italy, Mexico, South Africa, Ukraine, Croatia, Honduras, Japan, Middle East, Spain, and a Russian school here in the United States. Um, as far as the, the school in Ukraine, um, I am in contact through social media with one of the guys from that school. Um, and he is, uh, he was James White's interpreter when James White taught at the TMAI Academy in Ukraine. Um, and he and I are friends on Facebook, so I've, I've been following that. Of course, there's a lot that he can't say. The building has been bombed. The building that was the TMAI training center in the Ukraine is no more. Um, but uh, the, the faculty and students were safe. Ukraine, prior to the Russian invasion, was the most... Um, the most uh, evangelical country in Eastern Europe, if not all of Europe. And when Ukraine hit, a lot of them fled into Poland and surrounding areas uh, when Russia attacked Ukraine. And this has resulted in a great deal of witnessing going on in Eastern Europe as Christians who actually believe the Bible and understand the gospel start sharing with their new neighbors and, and, uh, aid workers and whoever else will listen. Um, 
It's kind of a lot like uh, when the persecution of the early church started in Jerusalem in the book of Acts. The, the believers scattered, and that led to a spread of the gospel. So we can rejoice because we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Um, we can trust that God is sovereign and that all that is happening is, you know, um, in his control and for his purposes, for his glory and for our good. Um, so we can, uh, I don't want to say we can sit back and relax. We have work to do, but we can be at peace because nothing is outside of his control. Nothing is catches him by surprise. Nothing happens that is not in accordance with his plans and his purposes. And so even, you know, whether it's a natural disaster, like a hurricane or a tsunami or something like that, that is well within his control and it is for his purposes. Whether it is a, you know, man-made sinful disaster, uh, the invasion of a country or a, you know, drunk driver crashing into a crowd of people. None of it is outside of God's control. It's all for his glory and for the good of his people. And it, it, it is according to his purposes. Um, one of the things that uh, um, the, uh, uh, the book, uh, Defeating Evil, that I'm going to be talking to uh, Scott Christensen, I'm going to be talking to him tomorrow, and that's going to air on Thursday. So um, we won't have our normal theology Thursday. We'll have Theologian Thursday, and we will we will have an interview with Scott Christensen to air on Thursday. Um, so that will be that will be a good thing. And that works out actually works out well for me because I have a I have a doctor appointment, so I can I can uh, get that uploaded the night before and and set the stream and then. Uh, I don't have to worry about it because uh, I'll I, I'll be able to leave a little early for my appointment and whatnot. Um, so that's a good thing. But that is Thursday, but that's one of the things that that his book talks about is the fact that you know God uses all of this stuff, and and God purposes all of this stuff, and and so even the actions of sinful man advance God's purposes. Um. And, and that's hard to grasp at times. And I understand it's a difficult concept, but it's biblical. So there's that. All of that to say, and here's another reminder. Next week is Shepherd's Conference. Squirrel chatter will be dark for the next two weeks. We'll be here all week. And then two weeks, I am not going to be doing Squirrel Chatter because I will be at Shepherd's Conference, traveling to Shepherd's Conference, traveling from Shepherd's Conference. And when I get back, I have the, the I'm just going to take the rest of that week and not, uh, not worry about doing the podcast because I have stuff to do and it'll be, you know, recovering from the trip trying to find room on the bookshelf for new books, you know, all that good stuff. Um, so I have just decided that, that I am going to take the next two weeks off. So we'll be here this week and then I will be off while I'm at Shepherd's Conference. Also, when I get back from Shepherd's Conference, I will be working to finish up and get posted my review of the, uh, Zootown Church heresy in Missoula. Um, I don't know. Apparently, this guy's getting quite a wide, uh, uh, wide coverage. Um, quite a few people are uh, posting things about his stuff and commenting on his stuff. Um, not just here in Western Montana, where he is, um, but he's so clearly a heretic. Um, so that's a, that's an interesting 
topic, but I'll be working on that when I get back. And we'll have that for you as soon as I can. All right. Did I say it's Monday, the 26th of February? It is. It's Monday, the 26th of February, 2024, and this is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on X, Facebook, and Rumble. And then the audio podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. Head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are sure to find something worth listening to. I guarantee it. Coming up today... We have scripture reading from the Legacy Standard Bible. We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ, Volume 1. And it's Monday, so we have Monday meanderings. Um, really only one topic on Monday meanderings, but we'll branch out from there because it touches on several other topics. <laughs> um so let us now begin, as is our practice, with the Prayer of Confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. All right, our scripture reading today is Exodus 3 and Psalm 53. Exodus 3. Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horab, the mountain of God. And the angel of Yahweh appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why is the bush not burned up? And Yahweh saw that he turned aside to look. So God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And Yahweh said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land. To a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. So now, behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now... Come, and I will send you to Pharaoh, and so you shall bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? 
And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am about to come to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they will say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is his name forever, and this is my memorial name from generation to generation. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I indeed care about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite to a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you with the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt. And you all will say to him, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So now, please, let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to Yahweh our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not give you permission to go, except by a strong hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wondrous deeds, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor and of the woman who lives in her house for articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. And you will put them on your sons and daughters. Thus you will plunder the Egyptians. And now, Psalm 53. Psalm 53, for the choir director, according to the Mahalath, a miscal of David. The wicked fool says in his heart there is no God. They act corruptly and commit abominable injustice. There is no one who does good. God looks down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who has insight, anyone who seeks after God. Every one of them has turned back. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do the workers of iniquity not know who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God? There they were in great dread where no dread had been. For God scattered the bones of him who encamped against you. You put them to shame because God has rejected them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores his captive people, may Jacob rejoice, may Israel be glad. This is the word of the Lord. And now our reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. Excuse me. Today's devotional is Response to the Greatest Sermon. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes, Matthew 7, 28 and 29. The response to the best and most astounding preaching ever, the Sermon on the Mount, was in itself very remarkable. Likely, some among our Lord's audience that day believed in him for salvation, but quite probably the number converted was small, affirming Jesus' assertion that the narrow gate, about the narrow gate, that there are few who find it, Matthew 7:14. The verb translated were amazed means to be struck out of oneself or to be beside oneself with astonishment. The crowd was utterly flabbergasted by the power comprehensiveness, and extraordinary insight of Christ's word. Never had people heard such a penetrating description of true righteousness or such a relentless condemnation of self-righteousness. Even more remarkable is the way Jesus spoke with a power, authority, that proved and reflected his sovereignty. 
Unlike the Jewish teachers who quoted the rabbi's words and additional sacred writings, he quoted only scripture and spoke as the final authority on truth. The Sermon on the Mount is important for everyone to hear, but the response to it must not conclude with mere amazement but real saving faith. If we have to read it and meditate upon it, its instructions and its imperatives, we also need to move from astonishment to obedience. Such obedience entails moving from intellectual knowledge of the narrow gate and way to actually entering the gate by faith and following the way to eternal life. Ask yourself, think back on the many lessons taken from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Which have struck you with new force? Which are your children in greatest need of hearing? Don't let his word grow quiet within you. All right. Okay, Monday meanderings. Uh, so many things we could talk about. Nikki Haley did indeed lose her home state to Donald Trump in the uh, South Carolina primary, which I believe was Saturday. Um, lost 60-40. And yet has vowed to stay in the race. Um, don't know how long that's going to last. Her funding is starting to dry up. People are, uh, and it, it's usually the, the lack of funding that ends campaigns. Um, <clears throat> people realize that uh, the candidate they're throwing money at has no chance of winning, and so they quit uh, donating to the campaign. And I think we're going to be seeing that very rapidly <laughs> in Nikki Haley's case Um why she's still in the race, I don't know. This is a Republican primary that has already been decided. And and so that's that's going to be something to keep an eye on. Um, like him or not, Donald Trump is the Republican nominee for the White House in 2024. And he is going to be far superior to Joe Biden. Um so that's that's one thing that we're keeping an eye on. There's there's a couple other um, this tragedy at, at the University of Georgia campus in Athens of the the young nursing student um, who was killed by uh, an illegal alien who had already been arrested and released several times since entering the country illegally instead of ever being deported. Um, you know, if, if the law had been followed, he would not be in place, had, had, would not have been in the place to cause this young woman any harm. Um, and I don't, I don't have her name in front of me and I didn't, didn't note it, but that's another thing to, to think about. I guess her funeral is Friday. So pray for her and pray for her family. But what I wanted to talk about this morning was comments made by Politico columnist Heidi, and forgive me, this this is this appears to be a Polish name. It's P R Z Y B Y L A. Prizbyla. Prizbyla. Anyway, I'm Heidi. <laughs> um, I, 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 I'm sorry, Heidi. Um, Polish names are not my forte. And I have not heard it pronounced. I've only seen it in print. Um, I have listened to, you know, I've watched the video of her comments, but I haven't watched the full appearance and I never heard her introduced. So the other, the other people on the panel are referring to her as Heidi. And uh, her name was printed there, but uh, you know, heaven forbid that anyone would actually say it so you could learn how to pronounce it. Um, and they probably don't say it for the same reason I don't. Um, but anyway, she is a Politico columnist. Politico is a leftist website, web, leftist quote-unquote news site. Um, and she co-authored a um, 
article on February 20th called Trump Allies Prepare to Infuse Christian Nationalism in Second Administration. And this is aimed at discrediting um, primarily the Center for Renewing America, which is headed up by Russell Vaught, who was um, President Trump's manager of the, uh, or director of the Office of Management and Budget during the Trump administration, and is considered by many a likely chief of staff in a Trump administration coming up. And so the Center for Renewing America is a conservative um, conservative Christian political action website activist group I mean they're not they're 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 writing articles and posting them on the web and trying to encourage uh, a, a return to a more traditional American, values, including, you know, it's God, country, etc. Um, I looked at their website briefly. It's not an organization I was familiar with before this all came out. But I looked at their website briefly, and it, 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 it's, I guess, think tank might be the, they, they, they think about stuff, discuss stuff and post articles about it. Um, but it, it's, very much akin to like the Heritage Foundation um, or, or some of these other, you know, the Hoover Institute where it's, it's, you know, thinkers thinking about stuff and writing down what they're thinking, dealing primarily with politics and national policy from a conservative point of view. They are overtly Christian, but that shouldn't panic America. We're in a country that 80, 80 to 85% of the people claim to be Christian, so why would that panic people? Well, it panics the left. And this is nothing new. Um, they have been, I, I remember leftist panic over the Christian right since the election of Ronald Reagan. Remember, if you go back to the 70s, the first evangelical president was Jimmy Carter, not a conservative at all. Prior to Jimmy Carter's election, um, evangelical Christians had not been an active voting bloc. There had been very much the belief that, that Christians are not citizens of this world, and there had been a lack of participation in the political process um, prior to 1976 and the, the Jimmy Carter campaign. Jimmy Carter ran as a quote-unquote born-again Christian. One of the things that he trumpeted was the fact that he taught Sunday school at a Baptist church. At that time, a Southern Baptist church. Uh, it's a church that would leave the Southern Baptist Convention after the conservative resurgence because it was a liberal Southern Baptist church. But he, you know, he's been called since he left office the most uh, famous Sunday school teacher in America. Um, and, and until, I mean, he's in, I believe he's in hospice now. I mean, the man's almost 100 and of course, his wife just passed um, recently, uh, Rosalind Carter, first lady. Um, but after he stepped down as president, he kept teaching Sunday school in the town where he lived, um, which name escapes me at the moment. And apparently it was quite the tourist attraction <laughs> that people would come to sit in on Jimmy Carter's Sunday school class. Um, and probably, uh, not the best thing for a church <laughs> because they're there to, to, you know, Hey, I met Jimmy Carter, not because they're there to hear the word of God, but they weren't hearing the word of God there anyway, cause it's a liberal church. Um, but in any case, Jimmy Carter got 
evangelicals to vote. And they regretted it. They regretted electing Carter. But Carter got evangelicals to vote. Ronald Reagan got evangelicals to vote conservative. And since the 1980s, the, the quote-unquote evangelical right has been one of the most loyal Republican voting blocs. And they were instrumental in electing Donald Trump in 2016, and I believe they're going to be instrumental in re-electing him this coming November. Um, that is my hope anyway. So there has been, you know, but ever since then, I've heard leftists talking about the Christian right and, and this has been such a bad thing. Well, recently, this whole label of Christian nationalism has come up. And there's no good definition of it. Um, to the left, it's a politically active Christian whose biblical values affects their vote. If that's your, if you are a Bible-believing Christian and your Christian beliefs affect how you vote and what you think about political issues, you are a Christian nationalist. And I know that there have been, there's been arguments about, you know, what is and isn't a Christian nationalist. As I said, there's not been a good definition. Um, William Wolfe wrote his book a, a couple of years ago. Um, he had a definition in it, but other Christian nationalists reject his definition. Um, people, and I'm talking about people that claim the label. Most Christians don't claim the label. I don't claim the label. Um, I think it's a, it's a distorted scare tactic from the left. As we see in the article that this uh, Heidi, Heidi P. wrote, in the Politico. So she's out to discredit Christian Trump supporters and to raise the uh, raise a panic about quote unquote Christian nationalism. And she said some things. She was on MSNBC and said some things about um, Christian nationalism that was very very interesting. Now, the one thing she says, and this is, um, my source for the transcript is Fox News. I did listen to it, but I did not make the transcript, um, so I just copied this from a Fox News article. Heidi P. said, the thing that unites them as Christian nationalists, not Christians, by the way, because Christian nationalist is very different, <laughs> is that they believe our rights as Americans, as all human beings, don't come from any earthly authority. They don't come from Congress. They don't come from the Supreme Court. They come from God. The problem with that is that they are determining man, men, it is men who are determining what God is telling them. Okay. Here's a big issue. All right. If rights are determined by governments, earthly authority, then we have no basis to oppose any infringement upon human rights by earthly authority. You know? The, the, the government of Germany in the 1930s determined that Jews had no rights. If rights come from the government, how can you oppose that? The only way you can oppose that is by understanding that rights, the source of rights, is something that's above government. You know, why, what was the opposition to slavery all about in uh, the 1800s that led to the Civil War. Why did you have abolitionists? Because they were convinced that slavery was wrong. 
but slavery was legal. If governments determine rights, you know, if Supreme Courts determine rights, you have the Dred Scott decision that black people weren't fully human. Uh, you know, okay. You, you can't dispute that because governments are the source of rights. Do, do you see the problem with their thinking? Um, rights come from God. That is why, no matter what the government says, we can stand up and say, that's wrong. Yeah. The, the, you know, the Obergefell decision back in 2015, granting the right, creating the right, inventing the right of men to marry men and women to marry women. That was done by the Supreme Court. I do not agree with that. <laughs> I believe that is a violation of natural law. And the reason is that I can go into any biology lab with any two animal, you know, a male and female mouse go together. A male and male mouse don't. A female and female mouse don't. A male and a female mouse can procreate. Um... The whole, you know, it's it just men go with women and women go with men. It's, you know, they fit together. <laughs> um, they're, they're designed that way by their creator. And even without ever cracking the Bible and reading where it says that homosexuality is an abomination to the Lord, I can see from nature that Men and men don't go together, and women and women don't go together in a sexual union. Flat out. That's natural law. So there is no right to homosexual marriage because it violates nature and it violates God's revealed will. So laws don't come from Congress, or, or rights don't come from Congress. Laws do, but rights don't. Rights don't come from the Supreme Court. Rights come from God. The Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. Governments don't create rights. Governments are there to secure God-given rights, to defend God-given rights, not to create rights. Now, the left doesn't like this. The left wants a supreme government. The left wants the government to be the source of all things because they want to control the government. They don't, they don't acknowledge God. They don't want to acknowledge God. But her saying that this is some sort of Christian nationalist belief, this was the belief of the founders. You know, read the Declaration of Independence. We're created by God and we're created with God-given rights. Rights are given to us by God. That's the founding of this country. It's not Christian nationalism. Now, you know, do I object to, you know, a state church? Yes, I don't think we ought to have a state church. Do I object to Christian values being expressed in the laws of our land? Absolutely not. Do I want to elect Christians to office? Yes, I do. Do I believe Donald Trump is a Christian? No, I do not. I desire to see Donald Trump come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Um, he is a willful, arrogant, prideful, sinful man. He also did a pretty good job for four years. And he's head and shoulders above the guy that's in office now, as far as the job he's going to do. But, you know, I don't think he's a Christian. Um, the people that he has surrounded himself with are certainly... Um, 
not the best Christians as far as doctrine goes. Um, and Paula White was one of his spiritual advisors during his first term. Paula White is a health, wealth, prosperity preacher. Uh, preacher in quotes. Um, she's a charlatan. And, and I don't care if she's married to Jonathan Cain, who's Journey's keyboardist. You know? He's a great musician. Doesn't make him a great theologian. <laughs> um, claims to be a Christian. I'd have to sit down and talk to him and ask him some, some serious diagnostic questions, beginning with, what is the gospel? Um, that's one of those things that you ask in a church that, you know, if you walked around and just asked random people sitting in your church, what is the gospel? I'm afraid you would be quite saddened by many of the answers you receive. And, and that's sad. But certainly among the spiritual advisors of Donald Trump, <laughs> uh, that would be bad. But, you know, rights don't come from Congress. Rights don't come from any earthly authority. So what Heidi is saying that Christian nationalists hold has been the view of mankind, especially in the West, for 2,000 years. This is, this is Christianity 101, that God made us and that all of our rights come from God. You know, it's not that hard to grasp. <laughs> um, and so that's a, you know, and she's gotten a lot of pushback on that. Um, one of the things she says is that her, her uh, comments have been taken out of context. Well, you know, I read the whole article that she uh, wrote on Politico, and quite frankly, her comments have not been taken out of context. When I've read what, uh, what people have written about what she said, and I listened to what she said, she said what she said. And her words do not stand the test of, you know, American history, let alone systematic theology. She, she said on that, uh, um, on that MSNBC, uh, uh, appearance, and again, my transcript is from Fox News. She said, and in the past, that so-called natural law is, you know, it's a pillar of Catholicism, for instance. It has been used for good in social justice campaigns. Martin Luther King evoked it in, taking, in talking about civil rights. But now you have an extremist element of conservative Christians who say that this applies specifically to issues including abortion, gay marriage, and it's going much further than that. And she then went on to cite the Alabama Supreme Court ruling on in vitro fertilization that the embryos stored in the freezers at fertility clinics are humans with human rights. And that and, and here's the thing. One of the things that the left is just up in arms about, about that Alabama decision, is that the Alabama Supreme Court referenced the Bible in their decision. Oh, this is horrible. Oh, this is terrible. The fact of the matter is, if you go back prior to the 60s or 70s, you have the Bible being cited in legislation in Congress, in countless speeches by presidents and politicians, in court decisions, from the Supreme Court down to the local justice of the peace, you will find citations of Scripture. Scripture was the basis of much of America's law. 
And so the fact that you have these citations of Scripture all throughout American history, up until the the Madeline Murray O'Hares of the country started flapping their feathers and in distress, and they took, you know, I was talking to one of one of the one of the deacons at, at church yesterday, and he mentioned that actually I wasn't it wasn't in a private conversation. He mentioned it in a discussion in the Sunday school class, but. When he was a young man, he's a few years older. He was my bus driver when I was in high school. When when our I, I did a lot of speech and debate teams and uh, speech and debate trips and and golf trips, and he was our team bus driver for a lot of those. And uh, but he mentioned that when he was a schoolboy, which would have been in the '60s, I believe. 50s or 60s, um, when he was a schoolboy, every day at school, public school, mind you, started with prayer, the Pledge of Allegiance, and a Bible study. I mean, just a devotional thought kind of thing. Not a, you know, two-hour dig through Romans or anything, but, I mean, you know, they'd do a, you know, a devotional reading of some sort. Um, it was common. This was the American culture. Was it cultural Christianity? Yes. Um, am I in favor of cultural Christianity? In a large measure, yes. Because when you have a biblical worldview informing the thoughts of even unbelievers, you're going to live in a more moral and upright world because the laws are going to reflect biblical values. The culture is going to reflect biblical values. Um, and, you know, I would be, would I be happy to, to see stores closed on Sunday? Wouldn't hurt my feelings. I don't get upset that Chick-fil-A is closed. Uh, if if Costco was closed, would I have to adjust my shopping? Yeah, because, I mean, yesterday after church, Mrs. Squirrel and I went shopping at Costco because we needed some bread. We needed some, we, we picked up some frozen veggies, you know, just stuff we needed. And, and we're already, you know, most of the way to Costco when we go to church. So after church, it's easy to go grab lunch and do a little shopping and come home. And, and so we do that probably once a month we'll do a shopping trip after church on Sunday um you know that's I don't mind it being open but it wouldn't hurt my feelings if it was closed I can go shopping on Tuesday afternoon you know I can I can make other plans um and so there you know there was a time and I I'm old enough to remember especially growing up in Atlanta Nothing was open on Sundays. <laughs> you know, restaurants were open. Uh, you know, pharmacies were open by appointment. If you had an emergency and you needed to fill a prescription, you could call your pharmacist and he would come fill it for you on a Sunday. But they weren't usually open generally. And, and I know this because my, my grandfather and my uncle owned drugstores. And, and so that was a, you know, and, and my dad would tell stories because he was growing up with my grandfather, a pharmacist. And my dad would tell stories of, you know, his dad getting calls at home Sunday afternoon and, and having to go down and open the drugstore to fill a prescription. Um, but it was a, it was a rare thing. You know, it wasn't normal. They wouldn't be open generally. Um, and so, you know, is that is that a problem? No, we could we could go back to that quite easily. When I was in in the 2000, 2008, 2009, during one of my periods of driving over the road truck, I was driving Canada. 
which meant that um, because of the NAFTA rules, every load driven by an American truck in Canada has to cross the border. So we could pick up loads in the United States that are going to Canada and deliver them in Canada. We could pick up loads in Canada that were coming back to the United States and, and deliver them in the United States. But we could not pick up a load in Calgary and take it to Vancouver. Um, as that was just, you know, couldn't go from Toronto to Edmonton. There was no point to point in Canada. So I was going back and forth across the border. The, the company I drove for had a drop yard in Great Falls, Montana, still there, which is just south of the Sweetwater Crossing, which is it, where I-15 hits the Canadian border. And that's where Sweetwater or Sweetgrass? I don't remember. But anyway, it's, it's the, the road to Calgary and Edmonton. And so, and they had another one in Detroit that would take stuff up into Eastern Canada, the Toronto and whatnot, Ontario. But, uh, you know, so I was constantly picking up loads in Great Falls at our drop yard, taking them into Canada, usually to Calgary. Most of the time I just went back and forth, Calgary to Great Falls. Um, and, and so, you know, but the thing that surprised me when I started doing that is Canada shuts down on the weekends, or at least it did 10, 15 years ago. Because if I did not get a load by five o'clock on a Friday afternoon, I was going to be sitting in Calgary all weekend. Because I wouldn't be able to get a load until Monday morning. Because Calgary was closed on the weekends. Um, and there's very few, Calgary does not, or Canada does not have our highway system. And Canada does not have our network of truck stops. There were only like, I mean, Calgary's a million people and there were two small truck stops. <laughs> um, there were places to get fuel, but there weren't places to park. And, uh. So there was a there was a place about an hour south of Calgary, and uh, and they had a big gravel parking lot, and a restaurant and a and a gas station, and that was that was a place that I would if I had to be up there over the weekend, if I couldn't find anything in Calgary by five o'clock in the afternoon, if if they had not found me a load, I'd drive out drive south an hour, and spend the weekend in Nanton at that truck stop, because at least there was good food and showers and everything. Um, so yeah, it, it Calgary, you know, Calgary used to shut down over the weekends, at least 10, 15 years ago. Wouldn't break my heart. It'd be fine. You know, so it, do I mind a biblical worldview informing national law? Absolutely not. Does it make me a Christian nationalist? No, I don't think so. Um, I don't want the church to run the government. I don't, you know, I, you know, requiring someone to be a, an evangelical Christian to hold office. No. Um, but promoting an adherence to a biblical worldview, absolutely. So, you know, the fact that, that the Alabama Supreme Court cited Scripture in its decision that the, the embryos created in IVF are, are humans with human rights, yeah, I'm good with that. The other thing that, that, that is very good about that case is it's brought the abuses of IVF to the forefront of a lot of Christians' minds. A lot of Christians have never really thought about it and understood that when a couple goes in for in vitro fertilization, fertility treatments, the, um, the, the doctors create multiple embryos to increase the chances 
of getting a viable pregnancy. And they will implant multiple embryos and then go back and selectively abort embryos um, to, you know, come to the one who is born. And, and by what criteria they do all that is entirely up to them. But it's a, the fact that, you know, in vitro fertilization, the whole fertility treatment industry utilizes abortion. It creates human life and it destroys human life. And quite often after a pregnancy, there are multiple embryos still in storage. And that's what the whole thing about in the Alabama thing was, was there was a, there was an accident that led to the destruction of some embryos and people sued the hospital, you know, for killing their children, basically. And the, the decision was, yeah, they're people. There is a liability there. And they do have rights. So that's, you know, but that has the, the left up in arms. They don't want biblical morality. And this was the thing that just got me in that quote that I read from Heidi P. That, uh, you know, natural law was a pillar of Catholicism and was used for good in social justice campaigns. Martin Luther King evoked it in talking about civil rights. But now you have extremist elements of conservative Christians who say that this applies to issues like abortion, gay marriage. Well, guess what? If you can apply these principles to causes you like, you can't object to them being applied to causes you don't like. All this shows is the inconsistency of Heidi P's worldview. But she's threatened by the Bible. She's threatened by Christianity. Non-Christians always are. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a sad truth, but Jesus said it in John 3. You know, they run from the light because their deeds are evil. And they don't want their deeds, evil deeds exposed by the light. And, and that's, a, that's a sad truth, but it is true. So am I a Christian nationalist? No. Do I want Christian values and a biblical worldview to inform the government of my nation? A thousand percent. And so if that makes me a Christian nationalist in your book, so be it. Not a label I claim, but uh, there you go. All right, let us now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now the colic for the second Sunday in Lent. Almighty God, you know that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls, that we may be defended from all adversities that may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts that may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. And for the renewal of life, we pray. O God, the King Eternal, whose light divides the day from the night and turns the shadow of death into the morning, drive far from us all wrong desires, Incline our hearts to keep your law, and guide our feet into the way of peace, that having done your will with cheerfulness during the day, we may, when night comes, rejoice to give you thanks. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And for the unrepentant, we pray. Merciful God, 
You desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son, you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven, given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home, and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for today. I wish you the very best of Mondays as you get your week going. Remember, do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.